0: So how do you know someone really means what they say? You, you know someone means what they say when they do it. They act on it. They follow through. We've all had people in our lives who have told us over and over again that they were going to do something, and then they never did it. Uh, they never acted on what they said. They didn't follow through on it. And we realized they're just all talk. They keep saying this, but they never do it. Their words were empty and meaningless because they were never accompanied by action. And maybe you've been that person to someone. Uh, You told another person, you know, I'm going to do this thing, uh, and then you never did it. You didn't act on what you said. You didn't follow through. And then eventually they decided, you know what, you're just all talk. You're no action. And you found it very difficult to convince Wise. No, I'm really going to do it. I'm really going to do it this time. And they're just like, no, no, you're all talk. I don't, I can't trust you anymore. And we went through the letter written to James in the month of May using our Worship at Home guide, and I really enjoyed it. I hope you did. But I'm not quite ready to leave it. I don't feel like we're done with it yet. I feel like there's more we can get out of it. It's kind of like when you have like a, you know, a grapefruit or an orange or something. Maybe you don't squeeze grapefruit, or maybe you're, when you're like juicing something, making juice out of something, and you're like. I've squeezed it, and it's like, yeah, there's like more in there. I need to squeeze a little bit harder. And it's like, I feel like with James, it's like we went through it fast, you know, whole chapters, and it's like, I feel like there's more in there for us to get out of it. There's more for us to squeeze. I feel like there's more we can get out of it. And perhaps I just wanted the chance to preach on some of it rather than just sending out these text guides. And you may have noticed along the way that James uses various characters from the Old Testament. He used four characters in total, he used uh, Abraham. Rahab, Job, and Elijah. And so we're going to do a series, of just four parts, looking at each of those characters from the perspective of James. Abraham, Rahab, Job, and Elijah asking, well, what does James see in them? Why does he hold them up as examples? Why does he say, you know, these are people we need to look at and model our lives after them. We're going to look at the story about their life in the Old Testament that James Uh, quotes and says, look at their life, you know, model yourself after that, and why does he bring it up, and then what does he say about their life uh, in the letter of James? And we're going to see common themes in all their lives um, that he brings up in James 1, right at the beginning of his letter. If you remember what he said, he talks about trials and testing of faith and steadfast endurance and and maturity, and he talks about wisdom. So we're going to see in all of their lives, we're going to see people who are faced with trials that test their faith, which produces steadfast endurance, which leads to maturity. Or in other words, they're becoming people of wisdom, and they're not people who are double-minded. They're not like a wave of the sea being tossed about uh, by the wind. They're, uh, they're people who are, as James later calls Abraham, as we'll see, a friend of God. They're people who are wholeheartedly committed to God. They're not trying to claim, uh, you know, no, I'm loyal to God when actually... Uh, the next day or the next minute, they're actually friends with the world. Like, you know, I'm committed to God, but then they're kind of behind God's back doing things to show they're actually friends with the world. They've let go of the world, the things of the world, the opinions of the world, and they've committed themselves to God, and you can see it by their actions. It's not just talk for them. When they say, I believe in God, I trust God, I have faith in God, it's not just talk for them. It's a real-life thing. They're loyal to Him. They've They've surrendered themselves to Him. And we see that their faith is real by what they go through. Their faith is tested through extreme circumstances, difficult decisions that they need to make, that to make hard choices. And they have to ask themselves, do I really believe this stuff, this stuff that I claim that I believe about God, these truths that I say I believe, do I really trust God? Do I really trust him to come through for me in these tough situations? Do I actually believe what I say I believe about him? Or is it all just talk? And that's the question for all of us. Does my faith change how I live? Does my life look any different because of what I say I believe? When I say what I believe about God, do I really mean it? Does it change what I do? Do I act on it? Do I follow through on it? Or is it all just talk? And we read the passage in James that Gene read for us from chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And James is arguing that faith apart from works is dead he says that a faith without works isn't a faith that can save someone and James is talking to people who are reducing faith down to belief statements like I believe in God I believe he exists I believe he's done certain things faith for them is agreeing uh, with facts or that something is true like you know mentally I believe that you know God's there that Jesus died on the cross, he did it for my sins, like it's agreeing with that fact that it's true mentally. And his readers are also Jewish, Jewish, so they're in the habit of rehearsing certain things to be true certain times during the day or certain days of the week. Uh, they, Because they're Jewish, they rehearse something called the Shema from Deuteronomy 6 several times a day. Uh, and Deuteronomy 6 says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so they would say that a couple times a day. Faith for some of them had been reduced down to this ritual where mentally and verbally certain times of the day they would say the Lord our God the Lord is one so they would have this ritual where they would say this is what I believe they would state these truths about God and reaffirm them but James argues that this is a dead faith if it doesn't have actions tied to it doesn't have actions with it it's all just talk it's just verbally saying you believe something is true isn't enough to save you just mentally agreeing with something Saying that it's true isn't enough to save you," he says. "Even the demons believe in God. Even the demons can say the Shema from Deuteronomy six, and even the demons can perform religious rituals, saying things verbally, and they might even do it with more reverence than they than we do, because they'll shudder when they say it. You know, people can say it without, you know, any sort of like reverence, but demons can say it a bit. <laughs> you know, they kinda of have this. They realize what they're saying, uh, but they." they can do it with this reverence but it doesn't change their actions and we're all in danger each one of us of reducing faith down to belief statements it isn't enough to say we believe something is true it's just talk if we don't do something or act on it we're also in danger of reducing faith to rituals we can make faith about rituals where we say certain things before we eat you know sit down we just say certain things we call it praying and we might think that means something to God where we sit down we just say you know I believe these things God thank you for this food do this and we're just saying certain things and if our faith is just reduced down to that and it's without actions it's meaningless or we say certain things before we go to bed or we go and do something on Sundays we come and sit here and we you know sing songs or we say a creed or we just say certain things that I believe this stuff, yep, I'm singing things that I believe, If if that's all it is, then James says it's meaningless, it's useless. If we never actually do anything different because of those things we're saying we believe, then it's just talk. James says faith by itself, without works, is dead. It's useless. And in verse 26, James says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. If you remove the the spirit from the body, you just have a lifeless, rotting corpse laying on the side of the road, you know, it's roadkill, lying on the ground doing nothing. In the same way, if you remove works from faith, you just have dead faith lying on the ground doing nothing. James isn't arguing that our works save us, he's arguing that the kind of faith that saves us always has works with it. Faith and works are inseparable because faith without works is like a body that has had its spirit removed from us, from it. It's a dead, useless corpse lying on the ground. Faith without works is just talk, it's worthless, it's saying, I believe that, but without any action attached to it, and so why, we ask ourselves, is James Abraham. In verse 21, he brings up a specific story from Abraham's life. And so let's read that verse. He says in verse 21 of James chapter 2 Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And this is a key moment in Abraham's life. Abraham was 75 years old when God came into his life. And so to imagine, you know, he lived 75 years before he met but one true God. And God promised to bless Abraham, to make Abraham into a great nation, and bless the world through Abraham's family. But now, you have to understand, he's 75 years old, and at this point, he has no kids. You know, so 75 years old, has no kids, and his wife has been unable to get pregnant up to this point. And so he's hearing from God, guess what, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I want to make you into a great nation. I want to bless the world through your family. But he's like, wait a second. I'm old. I'm 75. My wife hasn't been able to have kids. And I have no kids. So, how are you going to bless the world through my family? I'm not very, you know, he's not like prime material for the start of a great nation and a big family to bless the world through. And so, and then God, besides this, You would think like, okay, I'm 75 years old. God's gonna get this started. I don't got much time left. God, you're gonna make me pregnant. You know, help me get pregnant. My wife get pregnant in the next year. No, he waits another 25 years before God allows him and his wife to get pregnant. And they get their, they have their first son, Abraham, at the age of 100. Finally, has their son he'd always waited for, Isaac. And so this great nation is being started. This family through whom God is gonna bless the world. Abraham's family gets started. And that's what makes this story so significant uh, in Genesis 22 that James brings up. When Isaac was still a boy, God tested Abraham's faith. And this story is found in Genesis 22. So let's, we're going to reenact it. I'm going to recruit some kids to help me reenact it. We're going to be socially distant, so don't worry. It's going to be okay. Uh, And hopefully the microphone works to do this. So uh, if Anna, is Elena hiding over there, or is it just Anna? Oh, she's, over, she's back there. I can't, just can't see her. Okay, so I'm going to grab kids from the two families. Okay, what we're going to need is, you guys might want to put your masks on. We're not, I'm going to keep, I'm gonna keep you separate, though. We need an Abraham and an Isaac. Okay, the people that are going to be close to each other are Abraham, Isaac, and a donkey. So, who wants to be Abraham, Isaac, and a donkey? So we need three. Maybe you guys want to be Abraham, Isaac, and a donkey. Then we need two servants and an angel of the Lord. Do you guys want to be the two servants, maybe? And Alexander's over there too, okay. All right, you guys will be Abraham, Isaac, and the donkey. Okay. Well, that's not a good sound. I'll turn this off momentarily. Okay. Reenact this. Bring my story with me. Okay. Okay, now you guys will be. Oh, I gotta get my mask on too. Where's my mask? I think I lost it. I don't know how this is gonna work. I guess I'll just stay away from you. <laughs> okay. You guys will be over here. You guys are Abraham, Isaac, and the donkey. Uh, we won't make anybody ride anyone, and I won't make you kneel or anything because uh, that's... And you guys are going to be... Uh, you guys will be the two servants. And then, okay, Hannah, I'll have you... Hannah, you'll stand uh, kind of over here. You'll be there. Okay. And then, how about you three? You'll come here then Michelle and Ty, you can stand right here. Perfect. Nice. Okay, so one day, let's see if I turn the sound off, it'll work. Does it work? Oh, good, they can still hear me too. Wow, I'm way loud, really loud over here. <laughs> okay, so one day, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, so who wants to be Abraham? Okay, that would make sense. Alexander really Abraham, say, here I am you just say, here I am. Here. Nice. Here I am. And then God said, I'm going to be God. I'm not claiming any sort of weird things, just saying it. Say, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Which one of you wants to be Isaac? Okay. Lena's is Isaac. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Abraham, you love Isaac. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. It's very early in the morning. You get up, Abraham. You saddled your donkey. you got to saddle Anna. Not for real. Put your saddle on Anna. Um, You cut some wood. Here you go. You cut this wood. Boom. And then I guess you just hold it for now. Uh, And then you uh, went to the place that God called you after three days. Oh, and you brought some servants with you. So you guys are going to stay back here, though, so we all stay safe. And you're starting on your journey. This is going to be where you're going to. So come, like, partway through. Well, one servant went home. That's okay. <laughs> okay, so you rose early in the morning. Come partway here. You can stay here, Michelle. You guys are all journeying here. Coming. Okay, now you're from a different... You're, you've are you gone a distance, and then the servants... And then you say to your servants... You'll say to Michelle, she's one of the servants coming with you. Stay here with the donkey. Yeah. So you say to your servant, but... There you go. Stay here with the donkey, the boy, and I will go and worship it and come back to you. If that's too much, I can just say it for you. Okay, I said it for you. Okay. So Abraham took the wood and laid it on Isaac. Can you give it? Give the wood to Isaac? Boom. Now. Now you guys, and then you, take, now you also took the hand. Well, we don't have fire. You have fire, but you also have a knife. Here's your knife. Well, this is for Abraham. Because now remember the whole thing here is you're about to sacrifice Isaac. You're not going to really do it, but you're, so now you guys are coming up and you're going up the mountain together. So now you guys are going towards the mountain. That's the mountain. It's that thing. But now stop. Now all of a sudden Isaac says, my father, say to your father. My father. My father. And Abraham says, here I am, my son. You can say that. Here I am, my son. Which is basically like, yes, my son? I can read this for you. It's kind of long. So Isaac says, Behold the fire in the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? You know, usually sacrifices would have a lamb or a goat or something. And then Abraham said back to his son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Okay, well, that's interesting. So you guys keep going. Up the mountain. You've arrived at the mountain. Continued up the mountain. When they came to where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar. Look at that altar. Wow, you guys built that really fast. You <laughs> built the altar. Uh, when, when They built an altar, laid the wood on it. You guys can... You guys can <laughs> servants are getting distracted. That's okay. Laid the wood on it. Tied Isaac up. So Abraham tied Isaac up. We don't have string, but you can pretend. No, 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 no. Whoa, Isaac, wow. No, this is Abraham. Ab- Alexander, you tie Elena up. <laughs> There you go. Then took the knife out. Now don't do anything with it. Took the knife out. You're about to sacrifice Isaac. But before he could, the angel of the Lord called him from heaven. Angel of the Lord, say, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham, Abraham. Oh, Abraham said, okay, Alexander, say, here I am. Then the angel said, this is kind of long. I can say it for you, Hannah. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham looked, and there was a ram caught in a thicket. We don't have a ram. I don't know. Uh, Hudson, make a... Hudson, what does a sheep say? Hudson? Hudson, what does a sheep say? Usually they say, ba. But, okay, there's a ram caught in a thicket, so Abraham offered that as an offering, and Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. And then the angel said, "Okay, I'll, I'll, this is kind of long too. Uh, because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and give you a family with more people than the stars of heaven and the sand on the seashore. In your family, all people will be blessed because you obeyed my voice." And Abraham went home with his son. Okay, now you guys get to go home. Well, you kind of pick up your donkey, you can pick up your donkey, your servants, and then the servants get to go home. You guys were helped out great. You guys can go home too. Nice. All right, can you give the the so clan, a round of applause. Oh, thank you for giving me the nice back. Nice. Thank you guys for helping reenact. So now, how does James see this story? There's a whole lot about this story in Genesis 22 that we could talk about, but we can't get into it all. We're going to focus on what James wants us to see. What's his perspective? on this story, how is he interpreting it? And we're going to read all of what James has to say about it, but uh, there are two key details. First, we're told that this story tested Abraham. Remember, James chapter one says that we should count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. The testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And so are you in any trials where you're facing difficult and even painful choices? Have you ever been in a position where you had the choice between losing a relationship and following God. That's a a test much like what Abraham had. This was a trial for him where his faith was tested, and God was the one who put him in that position. So when you're in a position where you're like, I might lose this relationship, I have a choice between being obedient to God, and if I'm obedient to God, I might lose this relationship. God may be the one putting you in that position of which you, who do you love more? And that's difficult. But this was a test Abraham went through, and he may put us through those as well. And he had to decide whether he really believed God. Did he really mean it when he said he trusted God? And you might not even lose the relationship in the same way Abraham didn't lose the relationship. And second, the commendation by God to Abraham at the end was, now I know that you fear God seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son for me. And in trials, when we're being tested, James says, what does he tell us to pray for in chapter 1? He says, we need to pray for wisdom if we lack it. And Abraham proves that he's a man of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And God says, well, now I know that you fear God. You fear me. The angel said, you fear the Lord. Abraham had walked with God for a long time. He'd learned to say yes to God in everything and walk in his ways. So let's read James's perspective on this in James chapter 2 starting in verse 21. He says, "Wasn't Abraham our father justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar?" In other words, wasn't Abraham shown to be righteous by his works? And verse 22 says, "You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works." And faith and works are inseparable. Abraham didn't offer up Isaac apart from faith. He didn't offer up Isaac for the fun of it, just to do it. He did it because of his faith in God. He trusted God. Faith was active along with his works. They're side by side. Faith and works were working together simultaneously. The, the works wouldn't be there without the faith. The faith was, And the faith was completed by his works. His faith in God was completed by works that showed he really believed God which explains verses 23 and 24 and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone James says early in his relationship with God Abraham was struggling with the fact that he remained childless and Abraham talked to God about it and God told him to go outside and look up at the stars and God asked Abraham if he was able to number them. And then he told Abraham, that's how big your family will be. And we're told that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And this becomes the basis for how we're supposed to think about our relationship with God, is that we're supposed to trust God, we're supposed to believe God, we're supposed to walk with him in faith. And the story of sacrificing Isaac on the altar happens over 25 years later after that instance of him believing God. And James's point is that Abraham's life shows that he had a a living faith, wasn't a dead faith. When Abraham said, I believe you, God, when he was supposed to look up at the stars, that wasn't just talk for Abraham. Those weren't empty words for Abraham. Abraham really meant it. And you can see it by his works. You can see it by how he lived. His belief in God made a difference in his life. He really trusted God, and he walked with him. He had a steadfast endurance through the many trials he faced, and that's why he was called a friend of God. And Jesus once said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And Jesus called for wholehearted commitment that required letting go of anything else that stood in the way, even beloved family members, if they were going to cost us following God or cost us obeying God. And that's what Abraham was asked to do. Abraham had many trials in his life that tested his faith, and he had learned to not hold on to anything but to believe God. And faith in action looks like letting go and not holding on, leaving behind what God asks us to, and Isaac was the ultimate test for him. The son he had waited for his whole life, the son God had promised. His faith in God was shown to be wholehearted and unwavering that day. We need to ask ourselves, does my faith change how I live? Does my life look any different because of what I say I believe? You know, go down the list of what you say you believe and you know all the things that you say you believe about God. If you say you believe God is all-powerful, has that made any difference to the way you live your life? If you believe God is gracious, does that make any difference to the way you live your life? If you believe God is merciful, does that make any difference to the way you live your life or treat other people or make your daily decisions? And if it hasn't, then it probably means that you don't really believe it, or at least that deeply. And we have all kinds of things that we say we believe, but that we don't actually let change how we live. And when we tell God that we believe he's loving or merciful or powerful or, or gracious or, or, or loving or, or giving, do our actions show that we really mean it? And the Bible tells us that we would live differently if we really believe God loves us. We live differently if we really believe God has shown us mercy, we'd act differently if we truly believe God is powerful and works through prayer. We'd be transformed if we believe deep down that God is gracious and treats us better than we deserved, And I've got this... Um... I find these... We found these helpful as a church, Uh, just these four belief statements about uh, the four G's, we call them. Well, I don't, I don't, I didn't make these up. Somebody else did. Um, Found them helpful that uh, they're really helpful because they show if you believe this about God, it would make this change in your life. And so it's like, if I really believed God is great, I wouldn't try to be in control of everything in my life. I wouldn't, which would result in less worry, less anxiety, less you know, stress. It would be like, okay, I don't, I can not be stressed and worried about all this stuff. And I would look to him as the one who can change people, who can change circumstances. I'd be praying more and I would let things go more. And it was like, if I really believe God's glorious, that his opinion matters the most, I wouldn't be fearing others so much. I'd be, I'd be thinking his opinion is the one that matters the most. If I really believe that, And if God, if I believe God is good, I believe I don't have to, I would not be looking for satisfaction in all these other things that I'm looking for satisfaction. You know, what, whatever it is, if, you know, all the things that we might look to for satisfaction and be like, no, God, I believe your plan and your will. And I believe you yourself are the one who is most satisfying, whatever you give me. I mean, if we really believe God is gracious, that he is, uh, that grace means we're given, uh, we're not given, we're given the opposite of what we deserve. It's like, well, I can never prove myself. God always gives me what I don't deserve. I would stop trying to prove myself to other people. I'd, try, I'd stop trying to prove I'm good enough to God that, so that he would love me, so that he'd be merciful to me, so that he would forgive me. But We tend to live our lives on this treadmill of good works of trying to prove we're good enough to God so that he'll love us. And it's like, do my actions show that I'm trying to prove myself? Or I really believe he's gracious. So I'd stop trying to prove myself. Um, and even... for me just a personal example i just went through these this morning i often will go um through these um i was really struggling with this purchasing these speakers and katie you can ask katie she's been like therapy session for me all week because i've been like really struggling because i'm like there's a lot of money and i was trying to make this decision trying to think about it and i just went through all of you know this morning telling god all the things i was scared about like did i make the wrong decision did i you know, was this dumb to spend this money and you know, all these things and what are people going to think about it and you had to go through these like do i really believe god's glorious in his opinion i don't have to fear what other people think do i believe um, that i don't have to prove myself because god's gracious do i believe he's in control and katie kept telling me you know like it may show a lack of faith that i was like you know we're a small church why would we have this speaker system like it just seems like a waste of money And she's like, well, it might show a lack of faith that you don't believe will ever grow beyond where we're at. And it's like, well, you know, so, you know, God, I believe you're in control, like, you know, that you're great, so I don't have to be in control, that I don't have to, that you can do more than I can imagine through our church. And it's, you know, because, you know, the speaker system can is big enough for 300 people. And so it didn't buy a speaker system that could be big enough for the size we are now that, you know, it's like, okay, I don't want to have to buy, you know, you don't want to have a speaker system that's like, every time we grow by 20 people, you have to buy a next system up. It's like, well, we don't want to buy one. You want it so that it can expand. It's like, oh, was that dumb? You know, you spend more money now so you don't have to keep buying more and spending more money. It's like, oh, just, you know, so it's like, well, it's it's in faith that, you know, God. So I was working through all these. Do I really believe these things? I feel like i'm having to prove myself, am I afraid of others, and I had to work through those this morning before even doing this, and so I encourage you you know write those down and um and think about do does what I believe change my actions in the way I live let's pray, Father, thank you for this word from abraham uh from James, and the example of abraham's life, um what he shows us and teaches us as an example and an example of faith of what it would look like to really trust you with everything um, to walk and to listen when you say to do something that we do it trusting you and fearing you with reverence and knowing that you're loving and merciful compassionate and we can give you uh, the, even the things we love the most and trust you with them so we can help us more, um to put our faith action, the things that we believe are true about you, uh, to um, walk them out in our daily lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.